I'm Tatiana Antonelli, and you're listening to Forward Talks, a podcast by Goombook about moving towards sustainability. Today, we're joined by Nicolas Brooks, co-founder at Zeito, a company that offers lubrication products which are considered as a green standard in heavy industry technologies in the Middle East. Nicholas moved to Dubai in 2007. His journey in Dubai varied from working at a luggage company, where he met his current business partner, to working with MMI. And although the idea of Zeito originated over eight years ago, it wasn't until 2017 that they finally got together and incorporated the company. We discussed this like over and over again, how can we get into the market? But that's when fuel pricing was dirham 30, no one really worried about efficiency. No one really worried about emissions. There wasn't like a real focus on it. It just wasn't big enough for them to warrant it. And the whole green, being green, it just really hadn't caught on. It was not a priority at that time. No, definitely. My wife was, you know, very much on board and sort of saying, well, I've heard too much of this for eight years. Just go and do it. Um, and so we set up Zato. So what is Zato? Tell us more. So Zato is, and that's my Australian Arabic, um, Zait means to lubricate in Arabic. Um, and we'd looked at lots of different names. So the whole basis to our product is, is general lubrication, but we also do um, a fuel additive. Our core sort of focus is all about efficiency and re like uh, making sure that engines are more efficient and also emissions are reduced. 90% of our product range can be used on anything, sort of any metals as such. So it lubricates, it's greases and, you know, goes in engine oil and that sort of stuff. One side is our diesel additive that goes into the fuel. What kind of emissions? Because when we spoke the first time, this was the very interesting part, is not only the carbon emissions that we all talk no. about, right? The big focus for us is on NOx emissions. So what you'll hear in especially the UK, Europe, Australia, the US, um, Scandinavia. Like their, their huge focus is on nitrogen oxides, um, uh, so NOx for short. So there's, there's a family of them, N2O, NO2, NO. And NOx kills about 8 million people or is directly related to killing about 8 million people a year. Everyone still talks about CO2 because it's something easy to understand, um, it's, um, if you look on global warming potential, GWP, uh, CO2 is one unit. And what they've done is they've tried to relate all other gases back to CO2. People know about sulfur in diesel because of low sulfur diesel, um, but the emissions um, that are quite high in diesel is NOx. And NOx is about, let's see, it's 296 times worse than CO2. So if you've got a ton of um, a, a ton of nitrogen oxide gas, because they're usually talking tons of CO2, if you've got a, a, um, one ton of nitrogen oxide gas, you've got 296 tons of CO2. For us, you know, we were very much focused on NOx and trying to educate people on NOx. And we realised that you really had to get their attention by talking about CO2. So that's what we've, you know, probably done um, in the last sort of six to eight months and everything's just really ramped up from there. So our product, you add half a mil per litre 
into the diesel. So 100 litres of fuel yeah, is 20 mils of our product. And it's, you need to be specific with it. it. It doesn't damage your engine if you put in 10 times the amount, but if you want the effect, putting in 10 times the volume doesn't give you 10%, 10 times the, the, the benefit. I generally talk around 10% because engines are all different. Um, you know, vehicles weight is different. Like sometimes you've got a small engine in a heavy vehicle. Other times you've got a big engine in a, in a light vehicle. So efficiency depends on how good that engine is compared to what it's carrying. So we see about 50 to 70% reduction in CO2 and NOx we see around 30 to 40%. Um, heavy machinery products we've got, we're in the marine um, sector as well. So it's just, you know, it's sort of s slowly, slowly, shui shui. Funny you say this because we're talking about engines and, you know, efficiency, but at the end of the day, you're known as a cycler. <laughs> so yeah. that's shui shui somehow. <laughs> Sometimes that's not too shui shui. <laughs> when did you start to cycle? Uh, it was was it 11 or 12 years ago. Um, basically, I was when I came over, I just finished racing um, for a, a club in Victoria, in in Melbourne, and in on road bikes. Yeah, I used to go out and ride as well as being a kid you know growing up you had a bike um to get around um but yeah i used to i started cycling a bit more um for training for rowing and then finished school and then kept on cycling with sort of mates that were you know rowing with me yeah just got into racing and then got really old at the age of you know what was it 30 you know <laughs> all these pro cyclists are old at 30 um but yeah i never sort of went pro i'm not you know i'm not that sort of level but um i got a real passion for it came over here and was just thinking these roads are just you know so quiet out in the desert today alcudra is a popular cycle track spanning 100 kilometers with views of the desert and sometimes a little bit of the local wildlife but what you may not know is that the location started out as a meeting point for a small group of cyclists called CycleSafe, co-founded by Nicholas and his friend Stuart Howison. That organic movement became a permanent fixture in Dubai's landscape. Then his um, girlfriend, um, Nicola uh, McDonald, who's you know, still here, still part of the group, she um, sort of said, oh, you've got to meet you know, my boy boyfriend. We met, you know... Guys talking about bikes, you know, with your husband, it's a, it's a sad case. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we sort of started riding. He said, look, out where I live, which was at Layan at that stage, um, he, um, he said there's this road. It's sort of the end of um, Um Sakim. You get to the 611. The bridge wasn't really built then. It was being built. We... Um, yeah, met there and then sort of had to go down 611 by the side of the road and then you go under the little underpass and then you come back to then keep on going down the road because there's no, there was no bridge there. And that's where they were going to have like the Vegas Strip where there was those 20, 30-foot high billboards and, yeah, then GFC hit and those boards, you know, sort of slowly came down, which is unfortunate because that could have changed the whole area. As you continue down that road, yeah, it used to be single lane 
up and back. We used to ride down that road as one of the rides that we used to run and sort of turn around and come back. And most days, um, or in winter especially, Fridays and Saturdays, we'd regularly see Sheikh um, Muhammad um, pass us in his, in his car. So he would see us, you know, two became four, became 10 cyclists, became 20, became 50. But we used to, they, we then started meeting at the roundabout where the now car park is. So we'd park on the right and you could fit maybe 20 cars there. And then people would complain that they had to park on the other side of the roundabout because there wasn't enough space. Now there's a 500 car car park there. People still complain. Human nature. Yeah, which, and uh, we still regularly, when photos pop up, you know, we message each other, you know, and flick a photo and say, God, do you remember this? Like there's literally four of us standing there, you know, going for a ride in a pack. And then other mornings, you know, where there's like sort of several groups placed down the road and we've come up, you know, over the bridge and you can see down the road and you can take a photo and you just see like, you know, lots of people, um, you know, spaced out along the road. But, yeah, we, um, we used to have four-wheel drives that would sort of follow the various groups. And, um, and then one morning, I think it was like after about six, seven years, we were riding down the road and he was behind us and he pulled out as he normally did to sort of continue on down the road and he stopped wound down his window waved over you know Stuart and that was sort of the conversation that he had with Stuart and then Stuart rode back and I said so what was that all about and he said Sheikh said you know there's too many people on the road <laughs> um, which is a good thing it was all very positive and he said, you know, he, he said, I, we don't understand, you know, people talk to me and say, what are these cyclists doing? Like, where are they going? What are they doing? We're not doing anything apart from riding our bikes. And he said, you know, there's now too many people we need um, you know, to think about some safety. And he said, I think we need to build a cycling track and we'll have someone call you. And that was that. And I remember sort of being amazed by it because the politics that you would go through in Australia, in Europe, in the UK, wherever, it'd, it would sit in a chamber and just get discussed over and over again and taxpayers' monies would just be wasted. And the amazing thing with, you know, with Sheikh Mohammed is that he had this idea. He saw what we were trying to do. He had an idea and said, right, we need to do something about this. And the engineer's office gave Stuart a call that following week and one meeting led to another and 135 kilometres of cycling track was built in about six months, I think. It's like I, f I understand back then when it was just the basic track, it was like $10.5 million. Incredible. And the thing that I get really, you know, passionate about and why I love Dubai so much is that it sounds cliche, but when you experience certain things about this place, I would never have been able to do what I did in Melbourne because everyone cycles, everyone does something, politics gets caught up in if you wanted to, you know, try and achieve something. Um, so the cycling track got built. Then there was the lakes that got sort of put into the area. Then the Love Lakes was recently, you know, a big highlight that Sheikh Hamdan, you know, posted 
Um, these places that have become nature reserves is absolutely amazing. And the road now is three lanes either way. The car park, if you're not there by 5.30 on a Friday morning, you're struggling to get a car park. And that's 500 cars. The first thing you said for me was really mind-blowing is 8 million people die worldwide every year, which means a country size as the UAE disappears in population every year. This is really alarming. Mm. So now my question is, why is your product not mandatory (laughs) for everyone to use in their their engines? This product's been around 10 plus years. As I say, this is our first rodeo here. Like we knew that we've worked in the Australian deserts, which are very dry and hot, all the way into the Utah deserts, which have a sort of a high salinity, like the air is quite salty. Um, so, you know, we've got the full spectrum and, you know, dirty um, conditions right through to, you know, super clean emission uh, um, environments. So coming here, you know, the whole idea was to just to get it out there and, and talk to people. But, you know, people are sceptical. They've, they've seen these things time and time again and, you know, had someone buy like, you know, a couple of litres or a month's worth of stock and then nothing happens. And it's frustrating. But at least you know when someone sees what happens. And it's it's a simple thing. Like you put it in, it works. And it's the same thing as the, the person that came to the last time and said, look, use it and it'll work. And it didn't. You, you can't hide that if it's going to or not going to. It's not like a horse whisperer that can train a horse. You know, this is an engine. It's pure evidence. It, you just stick it in the tank and step back and, you know, watch watch it do its work. And that's why we just stand behind, you know, any time that someone wants to, you know, be super critical with this, it's, it's always a welcome. So where do I buy it, for example? As a consumer, is it possible? So we've got a few products out on the market. Um, so we have a... Um, so we've been talking about the diesel additive, which is a lot of the time is direct um, to us um, just at the moment because um, it is important that um, we make sure sort of first-time users are, uh, um, understand 100% of how to use it, that it is a small dose. You know, it needs to be a small dose. So companies like MMI have been really good and they've got it across, they're putting into their whole fleet now We've been with them 14 months. Um, you know, they've seen this, the emission, you know, drop um, and they've just actually published um, the article in PMV magazine. Um, and we've, we've gone out with, yes, we're saving fuel. It's, you know, anything from um, sort of the 10% up to the 15% depends on the truck, depends on the driver as well. Like there's, there's lots of different factors. Um, but also maintenance has been reduced. Um, t- we've got an oil um, treatment that we put in, so it goes in extra on top of your oil. Um, so that improves performance. You know, while I'm very much focused on emissions, I also understand people have passions too. Um, but you know, we've got um, uh, oil additive for racing engines that gives you extra power. Um, we also reduce running temperatures by about 5 to 10 degrees. This is an easy thing. When someone 
you tell somebody about efficiency and reducing friction, you can they get it. They get it. It was a pleasure catching up with Nicolas in detail, and I hope you enjoyed the episode as well, and that you will forward this to someone you know. You can find all of our previous episodes by visiting goombook.com and reaching us on Instagram at goombook. That's G-O-U-M-B-O-O-K. See you next week. Bye.